0: you would, turn the Bible to Nehemiah. If you're new here, that's a little tough to find. You just go to the Psalms, go backwards a little bit, and you'll find it. We've been in Nehemiah for quite some time, and we are um, at, at chapter 11 today. And Today we're going to cover a really big section. We're nearing the end, and it's time for us to do this. We're going to cover all of chapters 11 and 12 today, and I'm not even going to read every bit of that. It is mostly lists. And I know that I've talked a lot about we're not skipping anything, but today we kind of are. <laughs> but you'll be glad because it, it is a big section and we will summarize it well. In our house for many years, we had one of those canvas portraits, a picture that you can get printed out in a canvas style and it sticks off the wall a little bit. And it was, it was from many, many years ago where we had gone to a pumpkin patch and they had one of those corn boxes y'all know what those are right where it's like a looks like a sandbox but instead of it filled with sand it's filled with corn and kids love that and our kids were laid out in there i mean this had to have been 13 years ago or something like that and we had you know 3 or 4 of our little kids just laid out all buried in corn and we took a picture up above it and we like that picture and it's been hanging on the wall in our house for a long time it's really cool they were all really little Well, just recently we went back and there was a different pumpkin patch and a different corn box and it was a lot bigger. And so we said, you know, it's popular these days to recreate a photo and so we said we're gonna recreate this one. And that wasn't that easy. Our kids are way bigger. In that original picture, we had about 100, 150 pounds of kids. Now we're pushing 700 pounds of kids. That's how much weight we pull around everywhere. <laughs> and it was just hard to get them positioned. I mean, they weren't laying right, and Val would say, "You need to scoot over a little bit." and trying to see like somebody scoot through a sandbox of corn wasn't easy. But we had fun with it, and we cre- re- recreated that picture. But you know what we thought at the end of that? Wow, <laughs> we've come a long way. We don't have little babies anymore. We're not just a family with little children anymore. It's been a long time and our kids are growing up and they're closer to leaving than they're closer to starting in so many ways. God has grown us. It's good to think that way, isn't it? I'm not trying to make everybody cry here today, but it's good to think that way. This is where we're at in Nehemiah, y'all. We've come through all of that, and we're at chapters 11 and 12 now. And they're not even thinking about building a wall. You know what they're going to do in the passage today? They're going to do a dedication for the wall. This wall was by God and for God. This wall was created by the work of God and the help of God working through us. They're going to look back and think on all that God has done In Jerusalem they're going to look back and think about all that God has done in their lives folks there's a time for that it's kind of easier to do that with nostalgia when you're in the parenting season I realize that nearly every day there's a Facebook memory that reminds us of something from eight years ago 10 years ago six years ago you know and you're reminded and your heart is pushed toward that and it's good to do that but more than just a smile and a laugh of how things were in that picture, a deeper reflection upon what God has done in your life. That's what Nehemiah 11 and 12 are about today. The dedication of the wall, which we're gonna see, was a time to recognize all that God had done in and through them. Hopefully, we're aware of it. We've been here week after week studying Nehemiah. It's been somewhat of a long journey. It hasn't been that long of a study, but it has been you know, week after week for us now for quite some time. And we have seen the whole process. And I hope to recount that today a little bit, but we have seen them go from no hope at all of rebuilding the wall, no people, no opportunity, nobody that wants to, no faith that they could, I mean, we've seen all of that, and now here it's the dedication of the wall. It kind of has me thinking, did they do a ribbon cutting? We do ribbon cuttings now, don't we? Anytime we grand open anything, buddy, we ribbon and scissors. I don't think they did. It doesn't say they did ribbon cuttings back then. But it has me thinking like that. It definitely seems like it was a time to reflect. It was a time to stop and look at what God had done in them. It was a time to think on it long enough to allow yourself to get emotional, sentimental about this is a good thing. We're not what we used to be. We're not who we used to be. Life goes on, doesn't it? Life progresses. I wish, I really do wish that I could stay in the stage of life where I just had toddlers and you wrestle on the floor all day long. I mean, it was so good. That's awesome. But man, I'm here to tell all of you little baby, parents of little babies, it will be gone so quickly. Life goes by so quickly. We must find ourselves... Or allow ourselves to find ourselves reflecting upon what all passed. Who were we then? Who are we now? And is God there in the middle of it? Are we trusting in him? Is he getting the attention? Are we honoring him through it? Does he get the glory? And may we learn today to not keep it all to ourselves. May we hear the big truth today that it's all going to be gone before we realize it. Life is passing by that quickly. And may we look to God and hope in him. May we believe here today that heaven is a real place. And we join our loved ones there by faith in Christ. Nehemiah and the dedication of the wall teaches us this. That it was the time to stop and look to God. It was a time to learn from the past and how we got to where we are. And it was a time to look at where we are and look to the future. Our passage today from Nehemiah 11 and 12 will teach us to do both of these things. Learn from the past and look to the future that we would, by faith, serve God well. We're gonna do two points today. And the first one is, if you, if you kids have a listening page, learning from the past To best serve God now. Look with me at Nehemiah chapter 11. Let's see what's going on here. At the very end of chapter 10, okay, which is where they've made this covenant with God, here's what we're gonna do, we're making promises to God, we're gonna live for God, we're resolved to live for God, here's the ways we're gonna live for God. The people have made a covenant with God, they've pledged their devotion to God, And at the very end of chapter 10, the last thing you see is we will not neglect the house of our God. So there's this this mindfulness, there's this awareness, there's this understanding of here's our identity now. We are the people of God and we do have a place that God's given us. And we've built these walls and this is our city and we are to live for God's glory here. They were aware of that. Now they had not been that for such a long time. They had been disobeying God and punished by God, and everything was depressing. They were exiles in another place, slaves in another place. I mean, it was bad, and they were very far from living by faith for God and for God's glory. That's the way it was. But by the work of God, they have come back to what they're supposed to be, and they're aware of it, okay? Well, that's the end of chapter 10, but then you get to chapter 11, and you get just this entire chapter. You can see why I'm not going to take the time to read it today. It's 36 verses of just lists and lists, and we don't always skip that. Some of y'all have been here. I've read through lots and lots of lists, and I've suffered through trying to pronounce these names. Um, And we get to chapter 11. It's just all of these lists, but guess what it is? It's a list of the people that have been involved in the work and that are now trying to reposition themselves to live in Jerusalem. Some will move in there and get to live there, and some will live outside in a a nearby town or village and, and still be involved, but that's what it is. So they are about to dedicate the wall. If you look at chapter 12, verse 27, okay? Look at chapter 12, verse 27. Today, we're gonna cover all of 11 and 12, Chapter 1227. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Everybody see that? That's the dedication of the wall. But for them to get to doing the dedication of the wall, like the actual thing of 1227 we get all of 11 of them telling us all of the people coming and gathering and assembling and moving in and settling and figuring it out and thinking through that who can move in and who can't. And I wanna look at that for a minute because this is learning from the past to best serve God now. The dedication of the wall is to say, hey, we're finished and we're moving forward. That's what this whole thing is about. But look at this. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So the, 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 Nehemiah tell, the book of Nehemiah tells us that the city was now protected with the walls, but there were still houses that weren't built and places weren't living and you know, operations weren't going. And that's what we're about to see through the rest of Nehemiah is this, them learning to do this. So what we have here is them sorting it out. And I just wanna show you a few things. Verse one of 11 says the leaders. Verse three gives us a good list of all the chiefs of the provinces. If you you jump over to verse 10, you get the priests, and you get the list of them. You jump over to verse 15, you get the Levites, and you get the list of them. You jump over to verse 19, and you get the gatekeepers, and you get the list of them. You look at verse 20 of chapter 11, and it says, and the rest of Israel, and of the priests and the Levites or in all the towns of Judah, every one in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Ophel and Zehi and Gishpah were over the temple servants. See, what we have here is a list of all the different people. You jump down to verse 25, and it goes, and for the villages and their fields. And it starts showing all these different places, all these little communities and neighborhoods. that are focused on Jerusalem which reminds us that it took a lot for them to get there, didn't it? You know, if you walk out here at our church and you look right at the corner of the building there, there's a cornerstone. It says the year 1964, 1967, one of those two, I can't remember exactly. There's a cornerstone right out here in the corner of when this top building right here was built some 50 years ago. The date's right there. And if we're not careful, we'll we'll not even think about that somebody put these boards up. Somebody bought these pews. Somebody said, we need to create a place that can hold this many people. We need a place where the word can be preached here in Fairdale. We need a place where families can come and grow in the faith. We need a place where the salvation of Jesus can go out. There's a whole list of people, many that we don't even know. That made that happen. The list of chapter 11 is not just a list for you and I to gloss through and not think is important. It's a list to teach us, man, it took a lot for them to get there. Some of y'all remember the whole story of Nehemiah well. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. You remember that? The King Artaxerxes. Remember how depressed he was and sad he was? And you remember that day that he was just there being close to the king and Some of his brothers came back from checking out Jerusalem and he said, how do you find it? Y'all remember that? And they were like, it's not good. They're a disgrace. They're a reproach to the name of God there. It's in shambles. That place is a joke when it comes to God and his salvation and his kingdom and his glory. The Bible says then that Nehemiah, stopped and fasted and prayed. He didn't like hearing that. He didn't like that it was staying that way. And so he started praying and praying and praying. The Bible says he prayed for four months with no action, four months with no inquiry, four months with really nothing happening, just heartfelt tears and depression and discouragement before God. Jerusalem is supposed to be a place that is a witness to all the world of the glory of God. And it is not. Nobody thinks about God based off Jerusalem. That's what Nehemiah concluded. It's not a witness to the salvation that God offers. And then finally, one day out of nowhere, the king says, why are you so sad? And Nehemiah, the, the Bible tells us, said, well, I, I wasn't looking sad. I, 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 wasn't, I didn't look like I was messed up. How did he know? He said, so this wasn't, this wasn't a fake sadness. This wasn't an outward sadness. This was a sadness of the heart, and I could just tell. So in that moment, Nehemiah unloads, and the king says, what do you want me to do for you? And Nehemiah says, well, I would love it if you would let me go back to Jerusalem and try to rebuild the walls. A task that seems unbelievable, a task that seems too big to accomplish, a task at the time that everybody thought, no way. No way. So Nehemiah didn't act rashly. He didn't run off and say, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna change the world, man. I got a vision, I got a dream, and everybody get on board so that everybody would mock and laugh. No, he moved silently, and he prayed and labored and planned. It was very strategic. He was a wise man. He was a good leader. The story unfolds that he would eventually present his plan, and the people were excited. They got on board. They said, yeah, let's do it. Then they were met with all this opposition. People made fun of them and opposed them. People tried to stop them. There was physical opposition. There was verbal opposition. I mean, the story of Nehemiah is fascinating. But Nehemiah, with all the negativity and the haters in his life, leaned in and said, no, God has called me to this. God has given me this purpose. And I know you don't think I should, but I know what I should. And I know you don't think I should, but I know what I should. And who's behind me? And there were all these people saying, we're behind you. We're gonna do this for God. And they kept going. And after all this time, the walls were finished. But it's not because Nehemiah was just so great and he literally put every block up. No, the Bible tells us, particularly in chapter three, the passage that says, next to him, next to him, next to him, and I hope that you remember that, that it was literally everybody. It was the the chiefs and the leaders and the priests and the gatekeepers and all these people, and they, they just did their little section of the wall. They didn't know what was going over there in the south gate. They didn't know what was going over here at the water gate and the fountain gate. They didn't know what was going on in other places. They'd never even been there. But for their little section, they did their job and they trusted in God and they labored and eventually the walls were finished. At the dedication of the wall, folks, we have to think about all that it took to get here and that's what they're doing. That's why this list is here. This wasn't a party so everybody could say, Nehemiah is so great. This was a party to recognize all that God had done. They were remembering how this began. They were remembering all the discouragement. They were remembering the years of suffering. They were remembering that this all began with a cupbearer that had a conviction to live for God's glory. One little guy. And God made a movement through it. It took a lot of people, it took a lot of faith, but it was the work of God. And they're lear- looking back to be able to learn from that. They want to serve God now. That's what the dedication is all about. And I just want to show you a couple, because, listen, you and I will admit that when things are going well, we're ready to live for God, but it's the setbacks, it's the trials and the struggles and the opposition that really, really knock us down. It's it's commonplace these days to meet somebody that that does believe in God, but they'll say, you know, but I mean, I've been through so much and I, I, you know, I've ever since COVID, I just never went back ever since the election. I just, you know, I just can't do it. Ever since that church hurt me, I just, I'm not the same anymore. And I want to show you a couple places here in Nehemiah. The first one is turn to chapter 2. It's common for us to see that, man, life is so hard and life hurts. And we've got to be able to look back and recognize, man, God has done a lot in my life. Yes, it's been the ups and downs, but God has done a lot. I want to look first at chapter 2, verse 17. Two seventeen. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Folks, at the dedication of the wall and all the celebration that there was there, it's good to look back and say, you remember when we were in so much trouble? You remember when we thought we didn't have a chance? You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, look at this, They jeered at us and despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You think of the dedication of the wall. They had forgotten those scenes. I don't think so. They look back on those moments and they rejoice that God had brought them so far. They were reflective and emotional and humbled and grateful at what God had done. Let me show you another one. Turn to chapter 4. Very similar thing. In chapter 4, we're going to start reading, start reading in verse 7. But when Samballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed... They were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it, and we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Some of y'all remember us preaching on that. Y'all, this is not coming from the outside. This is coming from the inside. This is their people going, we just can't. It's too much, a good effort, we tried, but it ain't gonna happen. We can't do this. You can only imagine Nehemiah's discouragement at that point. We've all seen a good leader say enough's enough. Y'all finish it yourselves. We've all seen a good leader say, look, I served y'all well. I've served my time here, but no, I'm not gonna deal with it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And just get away from the very thing that they were devoted to. It happens. Leadership is hard. But look at Verse 10. I mean, sorry, verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You think at the dedication of the wall in chapter 12. They weren't remembering those hard days. They were. The Bible is teaching us folks to be able to look back by faith, see the hardships, shake our head and say, man, that was tough. But know that God has been with us and that God does not fail us. And see the faithfulness of God to move us forward, carry us along, get us through it, be with us during it, and teach us to best serve him now. The trials of life and the experiences and circumstances in our lives will get us, folks. They will. We know that. But the promises of God are everlasting. And the foundation of God is a solid rock that you can stand upon and build your life upon. We must be those who are learning from the past to best serve God now. So I've got a few memories I remember back years ago when our church didn't have any good connection with missionaries, we didn't. We were trying to get involved with missions. We did a little short-term stuff here. We did Lottie Moon Christmas offering in, the, in December and we looked at international missions, but we had not sent any recently. We didn't have anybody that we supported. We didn't have anybody trying to go. And now we stand here with lots of missionaries. People going, people trying to go, people coming. I mean, we now know people that are in lots of different places. We have people supporting missionaries and praying regularly for missionaries. God has done that. God has raised it up. God has made it happen. I remember back years ago when we didn't have any babies here. It's hard to imagine. And just occasionally that we would have a baby show up. We had so few young people here that we had never even had a kids ministry in recent years. I don't mean way back, but I mean somewhat recently. No babies. And so the nursery workers that we had, and some of y'all remember this, the nursery workers that we had would typically just be two sweet older ladies that would go sitting there every week in case a baby showed up. A guest would come with a baby, or a grandparent would come with with a grandchild, but it was just the same two people. There was no nursery schedule. There was no rotation. There was nothing like that. The same two elderly ladies would sit in there, basically. And now, by the grace of God, church, we have a full operation of over 50 nursery volunteers. And our church is able to provide child care at every service that we offer. Sunday school child care, Sunday morning child care, Sunday night child care, Wednesday night child care, because people are volunteering and working. It seems to be just a remarkable advancement in our church to which we would say God has done that through us. This summer, Garth Farmer and and his student ministry team took 36 people to our summer camp. It almost causes me to laugh when I see that. 36 people to summer camp, six of those being adult chaperones. And I remember 2004, me driving the bus by myself as I took four teenagers to youth camp. Incredible. This summer, Matt McBroom took nearly 30 kids to kids camp. I remember when we had never gone to kids' camp. I remember we didn't even think that was a possibility. I remember we didn't even have kids here, much less going to camp. I remember how excited we were when Matt started that. And now we have families and families and families in our church benefiting from their kids, getting a week of church camp, worshiping and hearing the gospel preached and doing fun things and just having a blast. Last night we were, moving around tables and chairs as we served a family in our church and had a funeral here last night. That's what so many of these flowers are left over from. And me and a couple men were moving tables and chairs last night, and we ran out of seating, and so we had to go to the old metal chairs. Over the last two weekends, y'all, we have been shuffling tables and chairs. I think over 500 chairs have been moved here in the past few days. Last night, we had to go down there under the stairwell and break out those metal ones. I hate breaking out those old metal chairs. The new white plastic ones are light. The tables are light. The chairs are light. I mean, you can pick up several of those. The metal ones, while we were doing that, I said to one of the gentlemen that was helping out, I said, I remember clear as day when we didn't have any of these. I remember when all of our tables are those old, heavy, brown, wooden tables. I mean, who knows how many backs are messed up just from us moving those all the time. And we did the same thing. We moved them. I remember when we didn't even have a single one of those white plastic tables. Now we've got like 50 of them, hundreds of those chairs. Chairs. I remember we didn't have the money to buy those. And so what would happen is about every few months, a a, a faithful member would come up and say, man, we really need some of those better tables and chairs. Here's a little bit of money. Let's go get some. And we'd go over to Sam's and we'd buy something like that. Now it's an afterthought, isn't it? And every week somebody has a get-together here, a baby shower, a party, and they move those tables and chairs around and they do it. God has brought us a long way. Church, God has worked in us. We should be looking back, seeing the ups and downs, and turning our attention toward Christ, who is the Savior. We should be saying, Jesus is the shepherd of life that guides us. We should not be wanting to be disconnected from that, where we emotionally think, yeah, God's done something, but I don't know how to put that into faith. We should believe that Jesus died on the cross for us to make our lives centered on God so that when everything we see that God is doing, everything that we recognize that God has done, every bit of emotions that we have for growth and advancement or whatever is happening in our lives, even just kids growing up, our faith turns to God and real faith in God comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves us and gave himself for us and lean in and hold tight and trust in Jesus. Say, God's brought us a long way. Commentator Betts, commenting on chapter 11, says this. We should be grateful for the faithful who have gone before us. These lists remind us that God was doing a great work through his people long before we came on the scene. These people provide an example for us and should encourage us to strive to leave the same kind of legacy for our brothers and sisters in Christ who will follow after us long after we are gone. Church, we look back like they look back. They dedicate the wall with mindfulness of what it took to get there. Philippians 1.6 gives us this beautiful promise. That not only is God doing it every step of the way, but God promises that he will complete it in us. It is a planned out salvation God is working in us. Paul writes to the Philippian church, I am confident of this very thing. That the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As we look to God, and as we look back on our lives and look to God, and we see, man, God's grown us, God's blessed us, God's done this, may we trust that it is he that has done it. Now, let's be honest. You know, I know, everybody knows, the people that are here know, everybody around us know, all the skeptics know, all the cynics know. We know that you could take the story of Nehemiah and just say, God's not real, God's not in it, they worked hard and they accomplished something great. We know that. I'm not up here as a dummy or a fool, like blind to certain perspectives, I know that. And Don't we all know that? If you go home today and go to your next family reunion, Thanksgiving's coming up and you say, man, we just did a series in Nehemiah and it was outstanding, man, God, God really did that. You've got people in your family that are gonna say, God didn't do that. I mean, people can go and work hard, right? Lost people make advancement and build great walls and build great cities and accomplish great businesses, right? We know that. We're not blind and naive to that. What Nehemiah is teaching us is that God is the one working in and through us and he deserves the honor and glory for everything we accomplish. When we so wrongly pridefully try to remove God from any growth in our lives, As simple as kids being bigger in a corn box. If God doesn't get the glory for kids just getting older, then we are wrongfully, pridefully stealing the credit and glory and worship and honor that God deserves. He is worthy of every single bit of our lives. When you eat lunch today, God should get the glory for that provision in your life. As you get paid this week, God should get the glory for that provision in your life. I was so tired last night. It's been like the hardest. Hardest 10-day stretch that our church has had in a long time. I was tired last night. I was tired this morning, right? And the ability to get up and keep going is for the strength of God or by the strength of God and the supply of God in our lives. And he deserves the credit for all of it. Yes, there are times that a fool could say, God didn't do this. I'm doing this on my own. I'm the one that ate my good breakfast and I drink my water and I've stayed fit like this. If God didn't do it. Folks, that is Don't argue with them necessarily. Don't get into a fight. That's wrong. They are going to see soon, very soon, that it was God that has sustained them every step of the way. May we look back and in humility say, I should be much worse off. I should be much further gone. Why has God put up with me so long? Why has God born with me so long? Why has God been so patient with me all this time? We should look back and see, man, he's been good to us and turn our eyes to him and say, God, thank you. So number one here today is learning from the past to best serve God now. But the second and final point that I want us to see is then we look to the future as we focus on serving God now. We look ahead and we say, okay, we got this wall. Yeah, we've come a long way, but it's time to stop looking at the back. What are we gonna do now? What can we do now? uh, Where where do we need to go? What are we supposed to do? What do you want us to do? And that's a beautiful thing. The balance of Christianity and living by faith is doing both of those things. It is being able to look back and see where you came from and look forward and say, okay, where are we going? We gotta do both of those and we see this here. And that's exactly what the dedication of the wall was about. Look back with me at twelve They're dedicating the wall. They're, 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 they're understanding, embracing, okay, what do we do now? How do we take this and build on it? How do we serve the Lord with gladness? What's it look like now to be the people of of, of God in the city of Jerusalem? Verse 27 says that the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then the singers, and he gathers them, and it says that he he created two different groups of singers, and he put them in two different places. Jump over to verse 38. Verse 38. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the gate of the Eph- Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshaniah and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of hundred and the sheep gate and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. Look at this. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Menemem, Micaiah, Eleni, Zechariah, Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, and Shemaiah, and Eleazar, and Uzi, and Jehonanon, and Melchizedek, Elam, and Ezra, And the singers sang with Jesariah as their leader. Look at this verse 43. It's a great verse. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Who did they think had done this? God. Verse 43 says it, for God had made them rejoice. Nehemiah working with Ezra here together. You know which one actually wrote this? It was either Ezra writing or Nehemiah telling Ezra what to write. Still the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was the leader, he could have accomplished it. He could have stood up here and said, I'm the greatest leader y'all have ever had. Y'all couldn't have done it without me. He could have written a book about how to make change in the world. No, Nehemiah stands here saying, look what God has done. God has made us rejoice. Our women are happy. Our children are happy. Everybody around Jerusalem sees our joy. The Lord is working in us as they are trying to figure out where do they go from here and what's it look like next, we hear things like joy, singing, gathering of people, thankfulness, and devotion. God had made them rejoice with great joy. At the end of chapter 12, you get service at the temple, and I want to read that for you. Starting at verse 44 to the end of the chapter, on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, "...the contributions, the firstfruits, and the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon." For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers and they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. That seems like a very simple passage, folks, but you know what it is? That's them now there in Jerusalem saying, we're gonna live the way God wants us to live. We're gonna to look to him and do the things that he has taught us to do. We're going to follow him. Now, just like we pointed out two weeks ago in that last passage, remember, don't leave here today thinking that life is shaped mostly by our promises. It's not. We break our promises. Life is shaped primarily by the promises of God and whether you will believe them. God will forgive you of all your sins through Christ. God will save you and save your soul. God will give you a new heart. God will give you eternal life. God will raise the dead lostness inside of you and make you alive to him. God will cause you to love him and want to follow him. That's the type of work that God does based off God's promises. But when God goes to work in us and you experience heart change on the inside, you do want to live for him what we see at the end of Nehemiah is them wanting to live for him. What we see here in chapter 12 is them saying, we're dedicating the wall. We look back at all that he's done. Now what we're gonna do, we're gonna live for him. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jerusalem was depressing at the beginning of Nehemiah. Now everybody's singing. Now everybody's thankful. Now everybody's humbled. Now everybody's looking to God. Now the people around them aren't laughing at them and making fun of them necessarily. They're just seeing the Lord has done great things for them. You remember when the psalmist says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy? That's exactly what this is. Church, as we look back on all that God's done through the ups and downs, and you see the faithfulness of God, May it say, and may it push you and inspire you to say, moving forward, I want to live for him. Betts, commenting on chapter 12, writes, this chapter reminds us of the importance of being ever acknowledging of the truth that we are recipients of the faithful service of generations of believers who have come before us. It should humble us, It should fill our hearts with gratitude. It should prompt us to be mindful of generations to come. We should hope for, pray for, and strive for a legacy that will leave future generations an example of faithful service to Christ. It's a little easier to look back than it is to look forward, at least I think so, I think back all the time about my little kids and you know, recreating a photo and things like that. We used to go to the zoo all the time. You know, When you have little kids, that's kind of what you do. You get that year membership and you can go anytime you want to. And there's a, there a rock at the zoo. It's kind of over there by the orangutan and that rock's about this big. I can just step up on the rock. But one of my clearest memories, all right, was when my little boys couldn't even climb up on it. I remember us walking. i say, say, see if y'all can come. And they're like trying, lifting their leg. I and mean, they couldn't get on top of that rock. And I remember one time we went a few years ago, and I was telling them about that. Now they can just step on it, jump on it, jump over it. They can stand on top of it and play like king of the hill who can push each other off first, you know. Like they can do anything with this rock. But when you start thinking about all of that, it's like, wow, life goes by fast, doesn't it? What do you do with those feelings? You resolve to look to God. You resolve to believe Him in hopes that as we advance in the future, they would do the same. In closing, I want to ask a few questions, a very reflective service today. Where has God brought you from? Have you thought about that long enough? Can you say, man, who would I be had God not kept me, protected me? Who would I be if God not brought this person into my life or those people into my life? Who would I be were it not me finding this church? Can you see that God is working in you? Are you further along in faith right now than you were a year ago or five years ago? Is your faith growing Are you getting more Bible knowledge now and understanding the way God does love you and the Father that he is to you? And at the same time, ask, where are you going? What are you going to be like a year from now? What are the needs in your life and in your surroundings and in our church from now? I know we lost a, a solid youth worker this week. A guy that was here every single Wednesday night investing in our youth, he died. So there's a hole there. Where are you going? This time next year, who will you be? And do you long to be the next this? Do you long to grow up and be the next that? How will your family be shaped a year from now or 10 years from now? Jesus is truly a life changer and shepherd who is to rule over all of our hearts and lives. From Nehemiah 11 and 12, let's look back and recognize all that he's done to get us here, and let's look forward at how we might serve God based off of his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Nehemiah has been able to teach our church a lot of different stuff from a lot of different angles. God, we thank you for the dedication of the wall. God, if we just plopped our Bibles open and didn't read the whole story, and we just read chapter 12, we would literally not get it of all that you had done through that cupbearer. Father, we love the story. And it's caused us to be reflective. Father, we pray that you would cause us to take time to be thoughtful and reminiscent upon all that you've done. We pray also, dear God, that you would empower us with change by your Holy Spirit, God, to make us live for you. God, who will be the next godly Ladies and moms and the next godly men and husbands and fathers. Who be the next youth volunteers and the next missionaries? Who be the next coaches and teachers that want to live for your glory in these spaces? Oh, Father, do that work in us. Create resolve in us, God, that we would live for you. Because you deserve it. You, God, deserve the credit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.